This is an ABC podcast. Hello and welcome to The World Today. I'm Sally Sara. This Thursday, less than 48 hours until Election Day and both leaders are frantically targeting marginal seats across the country, trying to secure every vote they can. And we go to central Queensland where coal miners are contemplating life after the phase-out of fossil fuels. I think it's a fine balance between making sure that we look at fossil fuels and renewable energies, but we've also, it's, it's got to be means tested and it's got to also provide an income for our, for our families that are going to be in that era. We'll have that story from Central Queensland shortly, but first up today, jobs. Australia's official unemployment rate has hit the lowest level in more than a generation, a critical development in the final days of the tightly fought election campaign. The jobless rate fell to 3.9% in April, a result that's good news for the coalition but puts more pressure on the Reserve Bank to increase interest rates. For more, I was joined a short time ago by our senior business correspondent, Peter Ryan. Peter, good afternoon. How significant are these jobs numbers, especially given the Coalition's campaign mantra of strong economic management? Yes, well, good afternoon, Sally. This is a key moment for the economy, especially, as you say, we've been hearing so much about strong economic management. That 3.9% jobless rate for April is the lowest since 1974, going back to when Gough Whitlam was Prime Minister, so almost 50 years. Now, this was in line with market expectations, but the actual number number of jobs created actually came in a bit lower than expected or much lower than expected, just 4,000 new positions against forecasts of around 30,000. So how did the jobless rate nudge below that 4% level for a number with a three in front of it? Well, one reason is that the participation rate is down slightly to 66.3%. That means there are fewer people out there looking for work, even though at the moment we're seeing that full-time jobs increased and part-time jobs fell in April. Now, just getting beyond that 3.9% headline figure, youth unemployment is up slightly to 8.8%, though lower than it was in March 2020. Underemployment is slightly lower at 6.1%. That's people who want more work but can't find it. But uh, the devil is in the detail, and there's uh, no denying it's a big moment, though what people want to know is when that tighter jobs market will see their wages picking up speed. So, Peter, given the lower jobless rate and a tightening labour market, how much pressure is growing on the Reserve Bank to get more aggressive on interest rates? Well, Sally, even uh, before this uh, lower jobless rate, the Reserve Bank was already on track to get the official cash rate higher, perhaps up to 1.6% by the end of the year. But uh, this uh, jobless rate means that there could be a supersized rate hike at the RBA's uh, June meeting of perhaps 40 basis points, taking the cash rate to 0.75%. Now, the Reserve Bank wants to get uh, that 5.1% inflation uh, lower back into the 2 to 3% target band, and that's going to happen, even though, as we saw yesterday, uh, wages growth continues to lag inflation. So households are experiencing a wages cut. The good news is that the RBA is confident this will turn around next year, but for households under pressure, that's a bit too long to wait, and they want wages relief now, especially as mortgage repayments start to rise. That's Peter Ryan there. Well, employment and wages are again leading the debate on the election trail as the leaders step up the pace in the final two days of campaigning. The Prime Minister says people being in jobs is the most important thing for the economy. 
while the Labor leader says most voters are more concerned about paying the bills. Our political reporter David Lipson joins me now with more. David, good afternoon. Are these jobs numbers going to have much of an impact this late in the campaign? Yeah, g'day Sally. Uh, Look, this is directly in line with expectations. In fact, we thought that this would actually happen last month. So there's not going to be any dramatic shift in messaging. The lines from the leaders will stay the same. But it is undoubtedly good news and the government will claim credit for it. The government, of course, has pumped huge amounts of money, borrowed money into the economy over the last couple of years to ensure we avoid uh, avoided a recession or, or worse. Um, and, and this unemployment figure, 3.9%, is historically low, the lowest rate in decades. But it's also a huge turnaround from the start of the pandemic when we had lines of people out the door of uh, local Centrelinks and the like. So it does give the Prime Minister... I think, a bit of momentum in the crucial final days. Here he was speaking earlier. People being in jobs is the most important thing that economy needs. If you don't have a job, you don't have choices. You don't have choices. As a young person... A young people's unemployment in this country today is 8.3%. Now, you know, that, that was double that during the course of the pandemic. The problem, of course, for the government uh, is that there are a lot of people, even who have jobs, who are feeling like they're under a great deal of pressure. And you can talk all you like about glowing economic indicators, headline figures and the like, but it doesn't mean a whole lot if voters aren't feeling that on the ground. And so Anthony Albanese is really trying to focus on that, that pressure that voters are feeling. What a whole lot of voters are thinking about at the moment is, yes, we always welcome, of course, uh, unemployment figures. We want to be as low as possible. But they're thinking to themselves, how do I pay my bills? How do I pay my rent? How do I afford food and the essentials of life? That's Labor leader Anthony Albanese there. And David Lipson, a row has broken out between the leaders over who is more accountable. What has happened? Yeah, look, it's about costings. And, well, we are a day and a half before the election and we still haven't seen Labor's costings. They will come, of course, in the next hour or so. But still, it is late in the campaign. Sadly, that's not unusual in recent political history. But it is being jumped on regardless by the coalition as a sign, they say, that Labor's being tricky and can't manage money. So the Prime Minister's uh, seizing on it um, and seizing on what was, for a small moment this morning, a a scheduling issue where the Labor press pack was going to be flown to Canberra where the costings will be released, uh, while the uh, leader, Anthony Albanese, was going to fly to Brisbane to campaign without the travelling media pack. There was a bit of a blow-up over that. It's not going to happen now. The journalists will go to Brisbane with the Labor leader but the Prime Minister still saw this as an attempt to dodge scrutiny. Here's what he said and Anthony Albanese. We're so late in the campaign now, and even today he wanted to run to the other end of the country, um, away from his own travelling media pack, so he wouldn't have to face questions. I'll put what I've done in accountability up against this Prime Minister every single day. So, look, on scrutiny and accountability, both leaders, of course, have done a whole lot of interviews throughout this campaign. If anything, Scott Morrison has uh, broken a few conventions. He didn't do the press club uh, this week. He didn't do insiders, wouldn't agree to a debate on the ABC. But uh, the bottom line, do voters really care about all this stuff? Probably not. David, thank you. That's our political reporter, David Lipson. 
Well, overseas briefly, and shares on Wall Street have recorded the biggest drop in almost two years. Tech and retail stocks have fallen sharply amid fears of further inflation. So how significant are the falls and what does it all mean for Australian investors? Ian Verinder is the ABC's business editor. Well, Sally, they've been uh, they've been incredibly significant, uh, and it's been concentrated very much amongst the technology stocks, those higher risk stocks that uh, uh, were you know promising all sorts of potential, uh, but were never delivering any profits. And so they're the, they're the ones that are most under pressure now, as is usually the case when we see this kind of uh, tectonic shift in markets and. The tectonic shift I'm talking about is, of course, interest rates. We've just come out of a period of 30 years of declining interest rates. You know, there's been a couple of uh, shifts along the way where they've gone up slightly. But if you look at the longer term graph from about 1990 through to now, we've just seen a continual decline in interest rates. And I guess this, the predicament we find ourselves in right now is something quite similar to the 1970s, where we had a supply shock, which was uh, the price of oil suddenly escalating, uh, that was driving inflation, and that fed through to a whole range of other problems. And uh, we're, we're kind of in similar territory to that right now. And we've got stagflation. That's the, the potential problem that we're heading into, where you've got economies, global economy, basically not going anywhere and perhaps going into recession, uh, coupled with inflation. That's the, the difficulty that uh, I guess regulators and central banks are grappling with right now. With the situation that we're seeing unfold on Wall Street, what does that mean for the Australian stock market? Well, it's not good. I mean, you know, Wall Street is the biggest stock market in the world. It also has uh, the, the biggest money markets as well. So bonds uh, are also taking an absolute hammering at the moment as well. But uh, stocks are the ones that get all the headlines. And uh, the Wall Street uh, is really, it's been under pressure now since really about November. And that's when the technology stocks started to, uh, to really come off the boil. And, you know, I guess you've got to understand why... Wall Street has gone up so spectacularly, particularly in the last decade. You know, if you're an investor, you know, just think of yourself uh, in a tree. You know, the safest place when you're up a tree is being on a, you know, resting on a, on a bough, on a branch, uh, but uh, up against the trunk. And when you, when interest rates decline and go to zero and you're getting absolutely no return for your, for your money in the bank, you, you're forced to actually take a bit more risk. You go a little bit further out on that, that branch. And, you know, as interest rates go ever lower, you go further out on that branch. And those that are further out on you who are prepared to take a, even more risk, they also go further out. And then you get to the stage where there's really people taking extraordinary risks in the stock market. And that's what we've seen in the past 10 years. People have been forced to take ever more risk just to get a return. And that's why all those high-risk companies that weren't earning any any profit at all but were promising big things into the future, that's why they're in such demand. That's the ABC's business editor, Ian Verinder. On ABC Radio, right across the country, you're listening to The World Today. Climate scientists and activists have accused the two major parties of ignoring voters' concerns about climate change. It comes as the latest State of the Climate report confirms that global warming is accelerating, with the planet experiencing the warmest seven years ever recorded. Catherine Gregory reports. 
The big question for political parties ahead of an election is always what are voters' concerns? And these voters shopping in Sydney's eastern suburbs have one big one. Climate change is the biggest problem as far as I'm concerned. So you'll be voting according to that? Most definitely. And how do you feel the major parties have stood up on climate change? Coalition, absolutely nothing. I don't know so much about what Labor's going to do. If they get enough pressure from the independents, that might force them to do the right thing. The older woman lives across the bridge in North Sydney. Her vote this time is not going to a major party, but rather the Teal Independent candidate, Kylie Tink, because of her strong stance on tackling climate change. I feel it's better to try and concentrate all the in votes into one independent, and so that's why I'm voting Teal. For Reese and Matt, who are both in their mid-30s, climate change is an increasingly important factor behind their vote. Oh, look, there's a lot of noise around it from the, from the major parties, but, yeah, I think there's a lot of uh, smoke and mirrors. Uh, I'm not sure that anything will come through from it. In that case, are you looking at the minor parties or independents? Yeah, I'd look at minor parties and independents, yeah. Matt is in the safe Labor seat of Kingsford Smith. Normally, he votes Liberal, but this time, he's undecided. I am conscious of, of climate change and, you know, what the government is doing about it, so, yeah, that would be a factor. Do you think either major party has offered up enough on climate change? The answer with Liberal, you know, they say they're doing a lot, but when you look into it more, there's not much that seems to be going on behind the scenes. Labor, you just don't really know. So possibly looking at independence in my local electorate or someone who's, you know, cutting, cutting through it. And do you think, though, that climate change has been a big enough discussion in this election? Probably not. I think it's more been on, on cost of living, housing affordability, and I think climate change has probably been pushed, pushed, pushed down. These voters aren't alone in thinking that the campaign hasn't focused enough on climate change policies. Professor Mark Howden is the Director of the Institute for Climate, Energy and Disaster Solutions at ANU. I think uh, if you compare the level of public interest and concern on climate change uh, with the, you know, action and, and uh, coverage with the major parties, there's a big gap there. And, uh, for example, Vote Compass uh, shows that 29% uh, of Australians list climate change as their number one concern. It's uh, more than double the next one, which is sort of economic and financial concerns. And so um, it, it's a, a big issue for many voters and uh, the coverage just doesn't match. Professor Howden's reference to Vote Compass is the ABC's election data tool. More than 1.2 million Australians have taken the Vote Compass survey. Their answers are weighted by things like gender, age and education to reveal voters' main priorities and whether their views align with the parties. The level of concern switches across party lines and so uh, green voters are much more concerned about climate change, 50% of them rate at number one. LNP voters much less, 8% of them vote at number one. It comes as the latest State of the Climate report for 2021 reveals just how much the planet is warming. Data from the World Meteorological Organisation found that the last seven years were the hottest on record and it warns we're heading towards 2.5 to 3 degrees warming instead of 1.5. Professor Howden says it's alarming, but there's some hope that private industries are actually leading change for the better. The policymakers, not just in government, but also in industry, and uh, what we've seen is a huge movement across industry towards uh, net zero type activities, and and that will continue. Not because the industries are necessarily thinking about the the, the global good, um, but there's money to be made here. UN Secretary General Antonio Guterres also made an appeal to the world to just stop using fossil fuels.
fuels. The global energy system is broken and bringing us ever closer to climate catastrophe. That report from Catherine Gregory. Well, climate change is also on the minds of some voters in the Sydney electorate of Bennelong, which is the focus of campaigning today. It's a safe Liberal seat, but Labor seems confident of taking it. Anthony Albanese was there today to pledge his support for the party's candidate. For more, I spoke to our reporter Priyanka Srinivasan, who's in the Benelog suburb of Eastwood. Priyanka, good afternoon. What's the mood in the electorate among voters? Good afternoon, Sally. Well, I'm here on the streets just outside Eastwood Shopping Centre and it's pretty clear here that an election battle is underway. Just uh, ahead of me here, I can see billboards and campaign posters out for the Liberal candidate, Simon Kennedy. It's on loud display here. They're looking to rustle up voters. And this is um, a safe Liberal seat, or it was considered that as we entered the campaign. It seemed like a really safe bet for Liberals. Um, of course, outgoing local member John Alexander is hugely popular. He's been holding the seat for the Liberals by a decent margin of 6.9%. But as we've gone along during this campaign, Benelong, um, the seat just northwest of Sydney, is emerging as a tight battleground for both parties. They've sent big wigs, big um, political players here. We've seen John Howard make an appearance. We've also had sad Kevin Rudd here as well, and, and of course Anthony Albanese was here just today to make a last push for voters. But on the ground, of course, um, voters have other issues in mind. They're seeing the government's relationship with China being a big issue as they enter the ballots on Saturday. Now, Benelong, of course, is one of Sydney's most diverse seats with strong Chinese and Korean communities. So foreign policy is front of mind. Here is what some of the voters had to tell us. Probably, um, yeah, foreign affairs, relationship with, with, you know, the threat of China ever encroaching. Um, oh, it's a definite threat, yeah. I'm fearful of a, of a Labor government getting elected, winning the election, yeah. The Labor Party's too close to the, um, too close to the Chinese, as far as I'm concerned. Um, that's just warmongering on, you know, behalf of the coalition. And honestly, yeah, um, sounds like they're just clutching out straws because... China is a powerhouse and we rely on them economically. I'm not happy with the current government, no. The two parties are almost like the same, you know. They're both vessels of USA. USA say, go for Solomon Islands. There we go, we are going there. I'm fed up. That's some of the voters in Benelong. And Priyanka, how much of an issue is climate change in the electorate? Well, as we know, according to the ABC's Vote Compass, more people list climate change as their number one issue this election, more than any other topic. And it seems like voters here, some centrist and progressive voters here in Benelong, are also keen to see more action on climate change, while there are others who don't just list it as um, an important issue to them, and they say they'll vote Liberal. Let's take a listen. And this crap that they're going on about climate change, just go. They teach the kids in the school, you know, it's just ridiculous. I think a lot of um, climate action is lacking. Like, the federal government's response to that is lacking, so... Anybody that doesn't deal with the climate is out of step and, in fact, totally out of order. Climate change is top of the list. Yeah, I very much decided. Labour, but Greens' um, Greens, um, preferences. For goodness sake, we can't keep voting the same people in. 
they're simply not up to the job. Environmental movement, they need to focus on, on cures, things that actually work. That's voters in the suburb of Eastwood in the electorate of Benelong. They're speaking to our reporters Priyanka Srinivasan and Carly Williams. Finally today, hydrogen production is being hyped up by both major parties as the future for central Queensland towns that are still reliant on coal and gas for local jobs. Selling the green energy transition to working class voters is a challenge in the city of Gladstone where the major parties are battling for the LNP-held seat of Flynn. Our reporter John Daly visited the local pub to talk with workers. It's knock-off time in Gladstone, and at the local pub, heavy industry workers repeat their ritual of beers and bad jokes. They're in the key coalition-held seat of Flynn, where Labor believes it's in striking distance. At a glance, it may not seem like a political crowd, but both parties' promises of hydrogen have these workers talking. Yeah, hey, uh, my name's uh, Roy Johnson. Um, I'm a uh, superintendent in Gladstone and uh, look after a lot of maintenance work. Yeah, I, I think uh, hydrogen has its place, but does it fit our economy right now and does it fit the place? It's probably not going to work for us straight away, I don't think. And, and, I mean, talking about a life beyond fossil fuels, I mean, do, do, you, th- do you have much thoughts about that? Like, do you, do you think about the future in that way? Or? Yeah, obviously I've got grandkids and, and, and stuff as well, and I want them to appreciate, you know, the lifestyle we've had. And um, we've, um, I think it's a fine balance between making sure that we look at fossil fuels and renewable energies, but we've also... It's, it's got to be means-tested and it's got to also provide an income for, for our families that are going to be in that era. So why are fossil fuel industry employees so interested in hydrogen? Well, several large hydrogen private sector proposals are in the pipeline for the industrial city. Yeah, I'm Dennis Watt. I uh, work in the oil and gas uh, on Curtis Island. If it's not done properly, I think the reliability of it, um, these projects are obviously uh, new projects here in Australia, just to make sure that they can survive and they're not going to be two or three year projects and then fall in a heap. Last year, the coalition promised $464 million to support hydrogen hubs across regional Australia, with $45 million going towards Andrew Forrest's green hydrogen gigafactory in Gladstone. Labor says it will allocate up to $3 billion from its National Reconstruction Fund for a raft of clean energy investments, including hydrogen production and fuel switching. Locally, both sides of politics are keen to clarify hydrogen is diversifying Gladstone's industrial mix, not replacing coal and gas. Back at the pub, these eye-watering investments don't provide workers with much confidence. They want proof these new industries are there for the long term. They just need a continuity to make sure that they can survive like the other oil and gas and other coal, coal seam gas projects have got the longevity behind them. As long as these projects have got longevity uh, to keep running and keep supplying jobs to the area, then I think it'll be right. But yeah, just a... Uh, yeah, new things are always a worry. Gladstone workers know the cycle of boom and bust all too well. In the early 2010s, there was this massive LNG construction boom and an influx of families to Gladstone filling those jobs. Six years later, the LNG price collapsed and many LNG projects were put on hold, leading to a mass exodus and a local housing market collapse. Roy Johnson works in maintenance at coal and gas facilities and he's worried major parties will make the same mistake with hydrogen. It's boom or bust in Gladstone, so I think if these all those plants were to disengage and move on, I think you'll find that the economy in Gladstone would just... It'd go to, it'd go to very minimal and the town would reduce in size dramatically. Then there's the big question of just how these workers are going to reskill and redeploy in the energy transition.
Kieran Moran runs a local communications and events business for the resources industry. He says neither party has articulated a real plan for this working class town. We hear about what needs to happen. We hear about the transition of workers and so forth. But what we're not seeing is the plan. That's also on the social, uh, economic and environmental as well because a lot of the towns are built from coal and they need to be looked after. How's the social cohesion of those towns going to survive? Labor's very keen to regain support of these working-class coal communities. But these workers aren't convinced just yet. Yeah, not sure yet, but yeah, just still looking through it and seeing who, um, yeah, who's going to basically provide the best economy in Gladstone and keep it um, yeah, moving forward. The LNP have done a, a reasonably good job um, keeping the country in good shape, depend, you know, so where, where we are with employment and, um, and our economy. That's Gladstone workers Dennis White and Roy Johnson ending that report from John Daly. That's all from the World Today team for this Thursday. Thanks for your company. Join us again at the same time tomorrow. I'm Sally Sara. Enjoy your afternoon. I'm Sam Hawley, host of the ABC News Daily podcast. Millions of Australians will head to the ballot box tomorrow where they'll either deliver Scott Morrison a second miracle victory or this time prove the opinion polling right and vote in Anthony Albanese. Today, the ABC's election analyst, Anthony Green, on what to expect once the counting begins. Look for the ABC News Daily podcast on the ABC Listen app. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.